All right, Philippians 1, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 26 mostly. And uh, let me read that along with you this morning from the New King James Version. For I know, Paul speaking, that this, speaking of his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance through, now notice through how? Through your prayer and what else? And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that. Prayer and the supply of Christ, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but always, with all boldness as always, according, uh, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, and that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. All right, some of that's a little confusing, and I hope to clear some of it up today and help us to get a good, what's called a hermeneutic, a good interpretation of Scripture. Some things I want you to look out for. A young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was a prime minister of England. And he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate your giving me a few moments in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman. And what then? Well, then, sir, I would like to gain entrance into the bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Well, then, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, and what then? Pressed Gladstone. Well, then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and what then? Well, then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man, and what then, he tenaciously asked. Well then, Mr. Gladstone, uh, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man, and what then? The young man hesitated, and then he said, Well, I never thought any further than that, sir. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. I've titled this sermon today, um, Live Christ, to live Christ. The Apostle Paul was clear, very focused on his purpose. And I believe the purpose for which he lived is the only purpose that really takes eternity into account. So that whether we live a long life or whether it is cut short, 
that purpose is fulfilled. Would you join me as we pray and ask God to open our hearts to the truth of His Word this morning. Father, we come to You hopefully expectantly as Your Word is, is uh, read and explained and expounded and exposited. May it find fertile soil in the hearts of Your saints and those who are yet dead in their sins today, Lord, would You awaken them would you give to them a resurrection through the death of their old person in Christ and calling them to a resurrected life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you do that not for us, but for you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Apostle Paul's purpose, in short, was pretty simple, wasn't it? He says it there in verse 21, For me to live is what? Christ. And it's interesting, if you've got a good Bible, um, you'll notice that, uh, you should notice that that word um, is, is in italics. And what that means is, it's there in the English translation for it to flow, but literally what Paul is saying there, for me to live, Christ. For me to die, gain. You see it? That word is, is added and any time in a good translation that you have it in italics, that's an added word to help flesh out the meaning. But, but literally what Paul says is, for me to live, Christ. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones points out in his uh, book called The Life of Joy, which um, is about Philippians, he says this, that that sentence is not only a statement of the apostles' true experience, listen to this, but it is also a standard of judgment which confronts us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith we will ever encounter. Every person who professes Christ as Savior must grapple with the question, and here it is, can I honestly say for me to live is Christ? If I can say yes, then I have also answered the fund that fundamental question, what about death? And what lies beyond? Well, it'll be gain for me. If for me to live is Christ, then for me to die will be gain. And that's a syllogism, isn't it, fellas? That, that is a conditional syllogism. It's an if-then argument. If for me to live is Christ, then and only then is death a gain. Are you following that connection this morning? So Paul's purpose statement means this, and this is in your outline this morning. Number one, every Christian should aim at being able to say truthfully, for me to live is Christ. So let me just start right off with a question this morning. Can you truthfully say that? Can we really? I mean, can we really say for me to live is Christ? And we need to be honest in examining ourselves before the Lord. Is, is that really what I'm all about? And if you're not sure, ask a four-year-old. They'll tell you the truth. <laughs> I, I made a habit of that in my growing up with my children of asking them, Evaluation questions like that. Um, because young children will give it to you square, won't they? 
<laughs> Can we really say that? Does, and, and to bring this purpose into focus this morning, I, I, we really just need to answer two questions, and that's all I hope to do in our time together. And, and here's the two questions. What does it mean to live Christ? What does it mean to live Christ? And then secondly, it's just the YBH, which stands for what church? Yeah, but how? How do we do it? How do I live Christ? And I think we can find that answer by looking into Paul's life, which we're going to do for just a little bit this morning. And I cannot help but go back to the previous sermon that was preached not by me, but by Brother Eric Friel in this very pulpit three weeks ago. Excellent sermon. If you have not heard it, go back and listen to it. Um, it, It's called Living a Gospel-Focused Life. So very good. And he explains the secret sauce to the Apostle Paul. And Paul just comes out and says it here in verse 21. He says, here's the deal, folks. For me to live, that's Christ. And because that's true, death is a gain. That's Paul's motto. So we're going to look at that today. So first of all, what does it mean to live Christ, number one? What does that mean? And in your outline, letter A says this, to live Christ means, first of all, to live in union with Christ so that he becomes my all in all. We've got to go back to the starting point, don't we? There's always a beginning. There's always a foundation. This building that we're meeting in today has a foundation. And you know what? I've been here, how long have we been here? 21 years? 21 years. I have never had one person visit or walk in here and say, that is the most beautiful foundation I've ever seen. I've had a lot of people walk in here and say, that is the most beautiful sanctuary I've ever seen. Nobody, nobody talks about the foundation. But where would this sanctuary be without that foundation? Nowhere. And a matter of fact, if the carpenter bees win, and eventually I believe they will, this, this building, foundation or no, is going to crumble <laughs> because they are doing their very best to eat it away. But it's a foundational truth. If we're going to live Christ, we've got to have, we got to live in union with Christ. And Paul uses this phrase all the time. It's his favorite phrase. We even have a song that we sing around here about being in Christ, right? That's, that's Paul's signal phrase of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. Is that first of all, we've got to be where, church? In Christ. We've got to be in Him. And the picture of baptism is there to help us understand that. We are literally, that, that Greek word baptizo literally means to be submerged into Christ. To be submerged into Christ. So to be in Christ, this is a beautiful truth. You might, it's not on the screen, but you might jot this down somewhere. Here's the beauty of that. To be in Christ means that all that is true of Christ is true of the believer. That's a big statement. All that is true of Christ is true of me as a believer and a follower of Christ. When I am placed into Christ... He and I become one. Are you following that? We, there, there's a union that happens. And, and it is by no mistake, it's by no mistake whatsoever, 
that God in his sovereign wisdom gives us several pictures of what it looks like to be in this vital union with Christ. Can you think of any of those pictures off the top of your head? What are some of the pictures of our union with Christ that we can relate to on a human level? That's the one I'm thinking of, marriage. Marriage is a picture of our vital union with Christ. I mean, and when we stand before the preacher and he says, forsaking all others keep you only unto her, he says, only, not mostly. Right? It's that vital union. It's a covenantal relationship. And what I'm saying is that my life is exclusively connected to her life, and her life is exclusively connected to mine. And the Bible says the two come together and they become one what? Flesh. And that is literally, no pun intended, fleshed out in the production of children. But as you all well know, the adults in the room, and thank God the younger ones won't be able to understand and don't need to, but children are not produced by holding hands. They're produced by intimacy of the two becoming one and living in that vital union, right? And that's a good thing. It's, it, it, it is a joy. It is the fruit of marriage. It's what God intends. It is God's gift, to his children, and, and we should rejoice in that. We should teach our children to rejoice in that and to look forward to that. But it is this vital union that we have. Everything that is true of Christ is now true of me. When you married your spouse, everything that was your spouse's became yours, and everything that was yours became your spouse's. Why? Because the two become what, church? One. So I got all of Elizabeth's debt, and she got my massive bank account of $300. <laughs> but, but we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this thing called life together until death takes one of us. And I've already put my order in and said, Lord, I will be glad to go first because I will be worthless without her. Um, so he gives us this idea. Paul writes in Romans 6, 10 and 11, he says this. For the death that he died, Jesus, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, notice this, in Christ Jesus. So what happened to Jesus? Jesus died to sin how many times? Once for all. It only took one time, he took care of the sin problem. And if Jesus died to sin, and I am in Jesus, then I am what, church? That was terrible. I am what? If Jesus is dead to sin and everything that's true of Jesus is now true of me, then I am dead to sin. And listen to this. If Jesus is alive through the resurrection to live for the glory of God, then what does that say of me, church? I am alive through the... I am resurrected with Him to, and now empowered by the Spirit to live for the glory, the praise, and the honor, and the attention all to go to God. Am I making sense here? So this is part of what it means to live Christ. The believer is in union with Christ, just like that marriage. What does that mean? Well, let me run through a couple real quick. Um, it means, first of all, growing to know Christ intimately. 
growing to know Christ intimately. That's part of what it looks like. Elizabeth, do you know me better today than you did 30, well, however many years ago, 32 years ago, 30, 34 years ago? Oh, I, I don't know why I cannot get that right. Um, I did fine until we hit our 30s, and then I, I can't get the dates right. So we're 33 years right now, and next month will be 34. Do you know me better almost 34 years later than you did day one? Oh, yes. And it's going to stop right there, and we're not going to add any, any to that. But I, I reckon she knows me, and I know her a little bit better. right? She knows how to talk to me. She came to me with, with what I call a wise appeal. We teach this to our children. But we also learned it works so well for the kids, it's great to use on each other. And she said, can, can I ask you to do something for me? And I can just tell by the way she asks that, that what is coming next is something that I have neglected and would be best for all of us if I would start to pay attention to that. And I was right. In our first year of marriage, I had no idea what she meant by that. And I, red flags would go up, and I would think, okay, she's, she's fixing to get out of line here and try to get into my business. And now, 33 years later, I'm like, what she's fixing to say is probably 100% correct, and I need to find a way to do what she's going to ask me to do. What happened? We've done life together in, in intimate union, right? And I know, I used to hear my mom say this. And I thought she was kooky. Well, she is kind of kooky, but she was right about a lot of stuff. She would say, oh, you know, I love your dad so much more today than, than I did when I first married him. And I'm like, how? I know that guy. How can you love him more now than when you first met him? But isn't that true? Don't you love your spouse more now than, than when you first met? I hope so. It's this, it's this growing in knowledge of your partner. Well, we're supposed to grow in that same type of intimate knowledge with Jesus Christ. It also means growing to love Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mark 12:30. Um, that first one is right jotted down is Philippians 3:10. You can pull that up there, Sam. Philippians 3:10 says Paul says that I may know him, there's that word, and the power of his resurrection and notice this in the fellowship of his what? Sufferings being conformed to his death. Right, what's that say? Marriage is the good parts and also the what? Bad parts. Marriage are the good times and also the bad times. It's for better or for worse, right? Power of the resurrection, but there's also the fellowship of his suffering. And God uses, we learned that this morning, or reminded of it in our, D, in our D groups. God uses suffering for sovereign purposes to make us look like Jesus. And then the next one, it means growing in love, um, to love Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do we really? They asked Jesus to try to trick him in Mark 12, 30. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave him the right answer. Here it is. And you shall love the Lord your God with what, church? Say it with me. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Are we growing to love Christ? Does Christ have all of our heart, all of our soul? And, and, and that, that, that word soul um, has, has to do with our life. 
All of our mind and all of our strength. Here's the next one. It means submitting all of my thoughts, emotions, words, and deeds to the Lordship of Christ so that I seek to please Him in all respects. Am I doing that? My thinking, my feeling, my words, and my actions under the control of Jesus Christ? Is pleasing Him my number one goal in life? Just go over this week. How, how did that look this week in your life? Colossians 3, verse 11. Same guy, Paul says this, that you may walk, what's that word, church? Worthy. That you may walk worthy. That's what it looks like to walk worthy. And notice of who? Of the Lord. That word Lord is kurios. It means master, owner, ruler. I think sometimes we forget that He's the Lord. And that when we come to Him, we receive Him not only as our rescuer, but as our purchaser, our redeemer. Redeemer means the one who bought us. And what were we bought with, church? The precious blood of Christ. Amen? He owns us. Fully pleasing to Him, are we? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It also means growing to experience Christ as my all in all. You know, there's a song that came out years ago, and I love the song because it says, when you come to the place you find that I'm all you have, that's when you find I'm all you need. Isn't that true about the Lord? When He's all you got, then you realize, man, that's all I needed anyway. What was I doing? Spending so much time and energy chasing stuff when I needed to be chasing Him. Not His blessings, his presence in my life. And that's Colossians 3.11. That should come up there on the screen. Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And notice this, but Christ is all and where? And in all. Christ is our all in all. And he is the uniting factor of our life. This is what it looks like for Christ to live Christ. Every aspect of our life must be centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious person of Christ. Nothing more and nothing less is the Christian life. Well, here's the next point. That was letter A. Here's letter B. To live Christ means to exalt Christ through everything that we do. To exalt Him through everything that we do. Now, Sam... Can you take us back to verse 20 of Philippians 1? It'll be there on the screen. But let me, and if you've got your own Bible, which I hope you do, um, I want you to, to look at that. Actually, you don't have to do that. Oh, you got it. Good job. I'm going to read out of a different version here. Uh, but here's what he says. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or death. Now that can be a little bit confusing. Um, in verse 19, Paul says, I know that this will lead to my deliverance. And other verses say salvation through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. So the question is here is his main focus, look at it here, 
Paul's main focus here is exalting Christ, pushing Christ forward. It was not getting out of prison. And some people erroneously come to the conclusion that when he says my deliverance or my salvation means I'm going to get out. Because he says in just a minute, I don't know what I'm going to get out. I don't know if they're gonna, I'm going to be executed or, or uh, let out of prison. Ex- ex- executed or extricated. I don't know which one's going to happen. And then he says, and I, and I don't have a strong preference, but I kind of do. I'd rather go be with Jesus. But it's better if I stay for you. He's not talking here about getting out of prison. What he's talking about here is, is his main focus is exalting Christ. And when he says that I will, this, will, this will end up in my deliverance, what he means is I'm going to be delivered from not exalting Christ and shrinking back and giving in to my flesh, my fear, and self-preservation. Because that's what he's asking. Here's what I want you to pray for. Pray that I will continue to be bold and I will not shrink back. And, and his deliverance here that he's praying for is not getting out of jail, but exalting Jesus in jail. That's my, I'm going to be delivered from my fears. And I think sometimes we have the erroneous thought that Paul was fearless. He was not. I think he was, had the same kind of fears you and I got. But what Paul was was committed. And he had people praying for him, and he had the power of the spirit of the risen Christ in him. Now notice in, in verse 20. Um, he also says this. Uh, so now also Christ will be magnified. Where, where is he going to be magnified in Paul? What's it say? In my body. And that's so important to understand. We exalt Christ through our bodies. Paul would say uh, earlier to the Corinthian church, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your bodies, which are His. Again, there's the ownership principle. I think we've forgotten who we belong to. Amen? We glorify God in our physical bodies as we bring it into subjection to Christ. Here's here's the third one, letter C. To live Christ means to die to selfish desires in order to live to serve others for Jesus' sake. All right? It means to die to selfish desires in order to live to serve others for Jesus' sake. Now, Paul, Paul's honest here. He tells us what he would, he would rather do. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 22. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. Well, does he really have a choice? But he's saying, as he's pondering it, I don't know which one to lean to. I'm leaning. I don't know which way I'm leaning. Look at, look at 23. I'm torn between those two options, death or continued service. And here's what he said. Be honest with you. I long to die, to depart this life and to be with Christ. And he says, and which is far better. Far better for who? Paul, right? You see it? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I'm persuaded of this, I know that's true. For me to continue living is better for you. He said, then I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. 
so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ may abound. What's he saying? I'd really rather check out. I'd really rather leave. He really wanted to depart and to be with Christ. And can you blame him? That guy had been through some stuff, hadn't he? I mean, he had been through so much. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure it mentally wore on him what he had been through. But remember, his, for him to live was Christ. And to die was gain. And he said, to tell you the truth, I'd really rather go. I'd much rather do that. But staying here and getting out of prison, here's what that means for you. It means that there's going to be more fruit in your life to the glory of Christ. And you know what? If I'm alive and living means Christ, then I'd rather stay alive so that more fruit can be produced in your life and Christ can get more glory. What is he saying? If I stay alive, it's going to mean fruit. Okay, is that true of us? Is, is it really? Lord, if you let me keep living, that's going to mean fruit and honor and glory to you. How many, how many of us can really say, yeah, that's, that's a fact of my life? I'll never forget many years ago, there was a very faithful lady who came to Christ and submitted to the Lordship of Christ in a Wednesday evening roundtable discussion. Some of you remember her. You remember that night that she laid her head on that table and wept and said, I give in to Jesus as my king. I'll never forget that night. It was the most beautiful conversion I think I've ever seen. She was married to a very wicked man. But just, he was just an evil, wicked man. He was unkind. He was the most selfish. I thought to myself, how does a man live this long and remain this wicked and so self-centered? The whole world revolved around him. And he was a horrible person. Totally outside of Christ, obviously, by the fruit of his life. Well, he got bad sick. He got sick unto death. And, and she called me and said, you know, he's, real, he's, he, he, he's not going to make it. And now he's worried. I said, yeah, I bet he is because his whole love of his life is not you. It's himself. I didn't say that to her, but that was my thought. She said, would you go see him in the hospital? I said, sure. I'll never forget on the way there thinking, God, what am I going to say to this? I don't even really like this guy. What am I going to say to him? He's such a wicked man. And now all he's wanting is some get out of hell free card. He didn't care about you. He cares about himself. And, and as clear as could be, I heard this thought in my head that certainly I didn't generate. And he said this, I'm not sending you there for him. I'm sending you there for me. I'm sending you there for my name, for my glory. It has nothing to do with him. You serve me by going. The results are on my side of the ledger. That gave me confidence. I got off that elevator and I walked into that room and I saw such fear in his eyes. And he said, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll get better. And I looked him in the eye and I said, absolutely not. He said, what? I said, why should God heal you? 
Why in the world should God heal you so you can go on living such a wicked, self-centered life? Best thing God could do is to kill you right now and spend eternity in hell paying for the, for the horrible things you've done to everybody in your life. I was a little surprised I heard those words coming out of my mouth, to be honest with you. And he looked at me and his eyes got so big. And all of a sudden he started crying like a baby. And he said, Preacher, you're 100% correct. I am a wicked and evil man. I have sinned against God, and I should die right now and go straight to hell for all of eternity. You're right. I deserve every bit of that. And then he began to confess some stuff I wish I hadn't known about the sin in his life. And he said, is there any hope for me? And I said, only in Jesus. And I shared the gospel with him. And right there in that hospital room, he repented and put his faith in Jesus. A few months later, he did die. But he died in Christ, not outside of it. And you know what? We saw some fruit in those months. He started to say no to some of those selfish desires. He started to live for the sake of others. Is that true? Why should God keep you alive one more day? What is it going to mean? more money in your pocket or more fruit in the account of heaven? Paul said, hey, if I live, God's going to do all kinds of stuff here. My life's all about Jesus, so if I live, there's going to be more fruit in your life, and that's probably the better thing. But if I die, I'm with Christ. So either way, I'm good. Can we really say that? If you're not denying self in order to serve Christ, you're not living Christ You're living for self. And how many of us honestly can admit that this morning? Many people today have the notion that Christ is there to serve them rather than that they are there to serve Christ. They think the church is here to meet their needs and if if it doesn't, they just drop out or they go to a church that better meets their needs. And we need to get back to the biblical truth that we have been saved to serve Christ. Christ. And we need to serve him right to the end. Charles Simeon, a a British preacher in the past century, who had worked long and hard for Christ as he was coming to the end of his life, he said this, I cannot but run with all my might, for I am close to the goal. What are your goals? Well, I'm just, my goal is just to retire. Simeon's goal was to keep running hard and, and run through the very gates of heaven, serving the Lord as hard as he could because his time was short. It was at Jack's Little League ball game uh, yesterday. And one of the greatest frustrations of the coaches when teaching these, these little guys the game of baseball is to teach them to run through first base. You all know what I'm talking about? I ran a lot of laps around the entire complex when I was Jack's age for not running through first base. Jack hit the ball and just stood there at home plate and watched it. I'm just trying to get him to run, period. Forget running through first base, right? But brothers and sisters, we need to be running the race, amen? We need to run through the finish line and not slow up at this unbiblical concept called retirement. Retirement should be fifth gear for the kingdom of heaven and more fruit so that when you see Jesus, you come with armloads of fruit to the glory of his name. You all say amen or ouch. So, 
real quick, and then I'm done, and this, this part will go fast. What's the YBH? How do we live Christ? How do we live Christ? Yes, we live Christ by daily fellowship with him, by seeking to exalt him, and by denying self in order to serve him. But also we live Christ by making that our constant aim. And that was Paul's constant aim. He was clearly determined to live Christ as his very reason for being. He expresses it elsewhere in slightly different terms, but with the same idea. 1 Corinthians 9.23 says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. This very same letter, Philippians 3, verse 7, Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, those are the very things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3.13 and 14, one thing I do, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This was Paul's constant aim. And Paul's answer to the question, what is life, was very simple. It was one word. Life is Christ. Is that your answer today? And then secondly, we live Christ through prayer and the provision of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse... Um, Number 19, Paul says, because of this, it will lead to my deliverance. Remember, not deliverance from jail, deliverance from fear. He said, how, how, is, how is Paul going to be delivered from shrinking back and being ashamed? He said, here's how, two, two things that God ordains. One is your prayers, is what he tells him. You're praying for me. He asked for prayer in order to stay bold. Because he knew the weakness of his flesh. Now, Paul was a praying guy, wasn't he? We see Paul prays in every one of his letters. That guy was a prayer warrior. But you know what? He said, I need more than just me praying for me. I need other people praying for me. One of the things I so appreciate about uh, Brother Jim Williams, every single day he prays for me. And he tells me that every time I see him. And I want to ask you all, just as the Philippians prayed for Paul the Apostle, I'm asking you, pray for Paul the pastor. I need your prayers. And it's how we live Christ, is through the prayers of others. But he also says, and the provision of the Holy Spirit. He said, not only your prayers in verse 19, but he goes on to say there, and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting. That's the only time in all of Scripture that we see the Spirit, capital S, and we know it's the Holy Spirit, right? You with me? Third person of Trinity. But where it says the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that's fascinating there. There's a lot of disagreement about what that means. The best I can come to by looking at it is it means this. It's talking about the very same Spirit of Christ, of the boldness and the confidence and the assurance that he had as he stood before his own accusers. And it is that bold spirit of Jesus Christ to stand in the face of certain doom and to stand for what was right. And Paul said, that same spirit is in me. And your prayers are activating that spirit in me. You see, you see the difference? Well, well, Pastor, you tell us that, 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 that God is in charge of everything 
Um, and that whatever God, we talked about this morning a little bit in, in our, in our degrees, whatever God wills is going to happen, then why, if, if God is completely sovereign and in control of everything, why should we pray? I'll tell you why you should pray, because God commands you to pray. And if God says to do it, it's something we should do. Amen? We're commanded to pray. And by the way, and here's the backside of that and how we justify all that with the total sovereignty of God. So many times... The very method through the, the very uh, ordinance of God that God ordained your prayers to bring about the effect that you're praying for. So it's the, it's the beautiful balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God has, or, listen to me, listen to me. God has ordained your prayers for the salvation of some of your children today. God has ordained your prayers to the fruit for the gospel of the ministry here at Lake Wildwood Baptist Church. And it will come about because of your praying. Are you with me this morning? God has called you to pray and he has ordained that those prayers will be the effective vehicle through which he will move because that's how God planned it. So don't ever use that trick of logic that says because God is in control we don't need to pray about anything no because God is in control we must pray about everything because God ordains your prayers to the effective outcome that he has planned can we see that this morning definitely in Paul's life he had to have that provision of the Holy Spirit here's a question uh, what if the Holy Spirit left you last week would you even have noticed would you Watchman Nee, one of my favorite um, evangelists of the last century, he got to come to the United States in the mid-70s. And he toured, his, this guy was a crazy follower of Jesus, had a, such a deep and abiding faith, understood the power of the Holy Spirit. They took him around the whole United States visiting churches. He spoke some, he observed a lot. And when it was all over and he was ready to go back to China where he would die in prison for the sake of the gospel, they asked him, Watchman, what, was the most, uh, what, what stood out to you most about the American church? You know what he said? How much they've been able to accomplish without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. What a sentence on the church today how much they've been able to accomplish without the power or presence of the Holy Spirit. Wood, hay, and stubble. And then number two, this is the YBH. If we have sought to live Christ, then to die will be gain. If we have sought... To live, if we can honestly say, for me to live, it's Christ, then dying is no problem. It's to proof. Now, I'm not going to unpack that today. I'm going to go more into that next week. I want to talk to you next week how to die with a smile. People are so scared of death. And I think that one of the biggest reasons we are so terrified of death it's because we know how we've lived. You know what? We should be terrified of death. <laughs> but if we can say for me to live is Christ, 
that's the finish line, man. It's the welcome home mat. And it's a game. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Paul was. Paul didn't see the choice here between living and dying through the lens of the lesser of two evils like we do. He didn't see it that way. He saw it through the lens of opportunity for more fruit. He didn't see it as lesser two evils. Well, if I have to stay, I'll stay. That's not how he saw it. No, he said, you know what? If I stay, it's going to mean more fruit. And because for me to live is Christ, I choose to stay. Because it's not about Paul. It's about him. Is that even in the ballpark of how we think today? I mean, is it really? I wonder. In Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, Alice asks the Cheshire Cat, my favorite character. She says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? To which the cat replies, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Well, I don't much care where, says Alice. Well, then it doesn't matter which way you go, says the cat. You're sure to get somewhere if you only walk long enough. Where do you want to get to? If you want to get to heaven, then you need to consider the question, what am I living for? Complete this sentence. This is the so what. The whole thing. For me to live is blank. What's the honest answer to that blank? For me to live is money? Success? Happiness? Pleasure? Fun? Good times? Family? Self? If your answer is any of those, then to die, think about it, stay with me, to die is a terrible loss. And that's why we're scared, because we know the answer to that fill-in in our own lives. And if it is anything but Christ, you should be scared to die. And if you are scared to die, then I have but one invitation for you this morning. Get it over with. Say, are you out of your mind? No. Come and die. Same guy said, for I have been crucified with Christ. You need to come and die. You need to come and be crucified with Christ this morning. You need to repent of your sins. And you need to put your faith in Jesus. And when you do that, I believe God literally takes you, the spirit, the core of who you are, back in time and places you into Jesus on that cross and brings you to a violent, bloody, significant, for sure end. And you die. 
And in a, in, a, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you are raised to new life and a new you comes up out of that tomb and fills you. You are placed into Jesus. Now Jesus and you, one in the spirit, make a whole new you. And then you begin a journey where you can say, for me to live is Christ. But until then, if there's any other answer in that blank, you well should be terrified of dying. But when the answer is Christ, death is a gain. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one of my favorite hymns that we have here called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We've got to stop looking to the wrong things. We've got to live Christ. And my question to you today is, are you living Christ? What is the answer? For me to live is blank. Can you be bold and be honest in this house of God today? How about this? How about you ask God, God, you fill in that blank. You tell me for me to live is blank. You tell me what it is. You give me the answer. And you better put your seatbelt on because you know what? I believe he will. I believe he'll tell you exactly what your life is all about. And if he does and it's anything but Jesus, don't even move, but right there say, Lord, I come to die this morning. I want to die to me. I want to repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I want to, I'm going to hold on to Jesus right now. And I want you to bring me to an end, the old me, and I want a brand new me to be born right now. Will you do that for me, God? Whosoever will, he says, may come. He's talking to you this morning. He's talking to me. For me to live is blank. Ask him and then respond. Father, I pray that you would add to this declaration of your word exactly what is needed to bury it in the good soil of our hearts today that it might bear fruit to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what it looks like. You got to turn your eyes. You got to look to Jesus. Stop looking at yourself and whatever else is in that blank and look to him.